Do you consider yourself poor and needy? Probably most would probably say not so much, but really when we examine ourselves in the light of God, you know, really we are poor in the eyes of God and needy, and we we are in need of him. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I was thinking of um, of the situation here that Paul's addressing, and then he goes in that we are to examine ourselves, and then he goes into the part of judging and how that affects our life. But Paul is addressing a problem in the Corinthian church. He said there were cliques among the, you, them, or, and because of that, there's, well, because of the teaching heresy that is being taught, um, is a cause of that. So I want to start with verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So in other words, they were approving the heresy teaching that was coming out. Verse 20, And when ye come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Um, I want to stop here and comment on that before I go on. Well, let me read verse 20 and 21, 22. When ye come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before, after his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat or drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that is, that's among, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So, we understand that back in the where the apostles were, they were eating supper with Christ, and there was the Passover feast, so they were eating of the the Passover lamb or feast. And then Jesus came from that and instituted the communion service of of his emblems, and so they were continuing. With that, is they would have their meal, and then they would break from that and have their communion service. And Paul's addressing that. What they were doing here was, um, it says, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So what they were doing is, they were having communion, but they were focusing too much on the meals before the communion. So he was saying that, you know, your heart was here to have communion, but you weren't really having communion. You were just showing uh, your wealth. People were bringing their food, and people were drunk, and 
and because of the wine and the probably expensive wine to show those around of their wealth and probably the finest of the meals. And then amongst them were those that were hungry, that didn't have food. And Jesus was saying here that this whole part of communion, or Jesus was teaching the whole part of communion is, is love. My whole teaching is love. And Paul says here that you are now taking part of my emblems and you're not showing love. And he was addressing that and he was kind of upset about that. I want to go on then, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and we know the uh, process of the emblems. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, And when he had supped, saying, This is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread, drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till I come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that he may come not together unto condemnation. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So he was basically saying here that they were partaking of the communion emblems unworthily. And if you kind of look up that, that whole the process of that thought, it's taking communion without love. Um, in Second Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about um, 13 verse 5. It says, doth not, no, I'm in First Corinthians. Second Corinthians uh, 13 verse 5. It says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So he's encouraging us to not eat of, partake of this communion. And that's why we examine ourselves, is because we don't want to partake of the communion without faith, without truly believing uh, who Christ is. You know, it seems does seem kind of silly to take part of the communion if we don't truly believe in him. We haven't fully committed our lives to him. And we also see that it's done without love. And then another way of 
The reason we need to examine ourselves is because of known sin in our life. So Paul's encouraging us here to examine ourselves. And I don't know if you've done that. I had because I had to prepare this message. But it's good for us to, to consider where we're at in our Christian walk. And I think if we are truly honest, I think we might discern our hearts whether we truly love God. And, of course, we know the one way we truly know God is where are you at in, in uh, following God and following in his footsteps and keeping his commandments. And then part of loving our fellow men. Uh, verse 31, it said, if, if you would judge ourselves, then God wouldn't have to do it. And I think the reason we... Um, yeah, the reason maybe God is judging us sometimes or chasing us or disciplining us like we would a child, he's doing it for our good so that we won't be judged as those of the world. And so it would be really good for us to really consider in our lives. The question I have, though, is how can we honestly examine ourselves? By what standard do we judge ourselves by to say that I'm okay with God and my fellow men? You know, if we read some verses, Jeremiah 17 Verse 9 and 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately, desperately wicked, who can know it? The Lord searched the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So the, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked the part of being poor and needy. So how can we judge ourselves with that thought in mind? We go to Proverbs 16, verse 2. It says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. So, you know, in our minds, we're thinking, I'm okay. I'm clean. I'm ready for communion. By whose standard? By our standards. By our hearts that are desperately wicked. And then Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Now I know I talk a lot about it, and I hate to, to bring it up again, but how is your heart? And I think the core, basically the core of our Christian life is our hearts because it's what's in the heart that exposes to the world or to the people around you of 
who you really are. And I know we can hide. We have secret places in our lives where we hope nobody finds out. And we can take communion and nobody knows. I know today's lesson, it was brought out of Ananias and Sapphira's um, guilt. I don't know how they found out, but they did. But what's in the heart will come out eventually. So how is your heart? Is there secret sins in your life? And only you can answer that. And I would encourage you when you're um, examining yourself, but judge, we should judge ourselves as who we are when we are alone. So judge yourself of how you would be if you had an afternoon to do whatever you wanted to do and, and you knew nobody was going to see you. What would you, what would you choose to do? What would be your response to that freedom? Um, in the age of of cell phones, would you? What would you? What sites would you go on to? Because you know nobody's going to see you. One of the blessings that my wife and I have is if I get on a site, it goes to her phone too. And so, you know, if I would say, well, nobody's going to know, and I can scroll down through here, um, she's going to know what I was looking at. Look at yourself. Another thing I would like to encourage you with is look at yourself as the same standard that you would look at others. So you look at others and you want to hold them to a standard that they should follow, but look at yourself and hold yourself to those same standards. And I think if you really want to be honest, if I want to I'll be honest with you, I guess, is I think sometimes we judge people because we have that same problem. So that's why I would encourage you to look at yourself the same with the same set of standards as you would look at others. Do you feel comfortable in saying, I have peace with God and my fellow men? Can you say, I, I'm truly honest? I have peace with God and my fellow men. Or this past week, thoughts came into my mind. Do I have peace with God and my fellow men? And God is able to bring those thoughts into our minds, and we need to ask for forgiveness. With our hearts being as they are, how do we measure what is right, what is true? By what standard do we compare ourselves to? And I, I could mention a lot of different things, but I'm just going to mention a couple. I think it pertains a, a lot to our life. I would go to 1 John chapter 3. 
But God does have a standard for us to live by. And I think we should compare our life to that. The first one that I would like to look at is what is our view of sin? You know, I hear a lot of, well, God isn't, doesn't care if we do this. You know, it's a gray area. It doesn't matter. And it seems like as life progresses, those gray areas get further and further out there. There's no definite sin hardly anymore. You know, you can live a life you want, and as long as you're right with God, why, you know, you're okay. There's no fear of, of what if the Lord would return to the, to the, tomorrow. There's no fear of, you know, I'm standing before God and, and he's seeing my whole life before him. Is there any fear of that? So what is our view of sin? In 1 John 3, verse 4 to 8, it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth, also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So, what is, oh, I want to read verse, down to verse 8. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for sins, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we see that the sin is the violation of the righteous standard of God. So what is righteous? Doing what's right. Doing what God requires us to do as Christians. I got lost in my notes here. <clears throat> I usually go over this before I... And put them all in order, but somewhere they got messed up. I want to go to Romans 13, verse 9 and 10. Jesus said, all the laws hang on two things. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any commandment, it is briefly comprehended in saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So if we look at that and say, have you kept the commandments of God? You know, we could probably go down through and say, well, I didn't commit adultery, I didn't kill, I didn't steal, I didn't bear false witness, and I didn't covet, and so on. Love, verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what does that tell you? You can do all these things 
and you have not love, you do not fulfill the law. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. So we can say, I have peace with my fellow men. I want to go back to 1 John 1.8. I think uh, another standard that God, um, that we should compare ourselves when examining ourselves is the standard of God, that God is love. And in him is no darkness at all. John 1.8. I think it was read this morning, but I'll read it again. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. So the standard that we could look at is, what is our view of sin? And now the next one is, what is our view of love? I want to go to 1 John again, verse 4, or stay in 1 John, verse 4. So we see that sin is sin. Sin is a violation of God's righteous law, so we can compare ourselves to that. Do I, we can look at the list and say, do I covet? Do I steal? Do I... And if you go to the New Testament, Jesus raised that standard a little higher. You know, just to hate a brother is the same as a murder, or to lust after a woman is the same as lust, and so on. But if we fulfill the law of love, that changes how we view the other person. We're not going to steal. We're not going to take advantage of of someone else. We're not going to... Uh, lust after someone else is because of our love for that individual. How do we love? Do we just love those who, that love us? Or just those who agree with us? Can we, as a body of believers, can we think differently and still be able to fellowship together? With each other. First John four twenty to twenty one. If I say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. I want to go to Luke 6, verse 27. Basically, he's saying is here is, you cannot love God and, and hate your fellow men. It's, it's, it's just not possible. But yet, we try to do that. It's not that we don't hate him, it's just that we don't like him. They don't agree like the way I do, so I don't need them in my life. Okay, Luke 6, 27. It says, But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and unto them that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer the 
also the other. And him that taketh away the clo thy cloak, forbid not to take away thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as I would that men should do to you, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them that do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do the same. So do you get the point? You know, we love our brethren, but we also love our enemies. We love those on the outside, those that we work with, those that we uh, do business with in life. We love them. And what thank thee if we only love those that love us. And I want to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly afflicted, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. So we see here of the other person, you prefer them over over yourself. That's quite a, a statement to say. And then verse Ephesians four thirty two it says. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So, what's the reason that God really wants us to love our brethren? It's because He loved you, and the reason He wants us to forgive our brethren is because. He's forgiven you, and he wants to have that fellowship with us. And 1 John 1, 7, which was, that's the verse that was read this morning, but it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. And if a fellowship is an intimate relationship with each other. So as we come together and with fellowship, we wanting to fellowship with God. And that's the whole part of the communion service is fellowship. Remember what he has done for us. Where do you stand if you would honestly examine yourself, do you feel like you're part of a fellowship? Now I know you can say, well, I don't feel like I'm part of the group, but I'm here, I'm a member, but I just don't feel like I connect. You are part of the, the church of God. And we as a church are a part of the church of God. And and to have fellowship one with another should be that I'm willing to give my life for you. 
I'm willing to prefer you over myself, and I'm willing to be kind to you with, yeah, with good affections toward you.